Money FM 89.3, the best of the afternoon update. Money in the market on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and the Market. I'm Hong Bin Jung. High global energy prices have been a major concern for Asian economies, and the impact of higher U.S. denominated energy prices is being amplified by a strong USD. So, joining us on the phone today to tell us how the rise in global energy prices is affecting economies across Asia is Marcus Mueller, Chief Investment Officer ESG and Global Head Chief Investment Office at Deutsche Bank. Marcus, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Hongbin from Frankfurt. Good morning. Oh, it must be morning there. It's afternoon here in Singapore. Thank yes. you for joining us. For some background context, where do global energy prices stand currently? Yeah, so Hongbin, after peak prices have been reached in June, crude oil, for instance, and all those um, natural gas and power energy prices have eased significantly. Although still at high levels, natural gas prices. Have fallen more than 72%, and power price about 60%. Oil prices have been declined 30% since June. Lower oil prices should be thus supportive, especially from U.S. President Biden's decision to release another 10 to 15 million barrels of oil from strategic mm-hmm. petroleum reserve. But you see, still a little bit high, but they came down significantly. And you know Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February, it's triggered a major energy supply um, crisis and a security crisis as well. And it has sent commodity prices to new highs with wide implications for the global economy. Which commodities have been the hardest hit? Yeah, Hongbin, um, I think it's very clear that uh, Russia accounted for around 17% total global production in, in, in natural gas. Mm-hmm. And here we see a lot of, a lot of the hits. On the other side, which is not been talking about very often, is Russia's importance in, in the production of a mined um, platinum output, right? Mm. Mined palladium. So it's, it's 44% of the mined palladium globally. Um, of this, 14% comes from Russia. And um, it was attributed to the former Soviet nation. And then mm-hmm. on the other side, we also have, um, for instance, and we need to think about this also in the Ukraine context, right? Ukraine accounts roughly 70% of global neon gas exports, an essential element for the semiconductor industry. Mm-hmm. And on top of this, the two countries also account for about 80% of global exports in sunflower oil. So it's not just energy. It's also ingredients for our daily Mm. consumption and daily demand. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, other than Russia's invasion of Ukraine having an impact of energy prices as well, it seems like the strength of USD has an impact on energy prices. So how does USD strength impact the affordability of energy? Yeah, very good question, Hongbing. So most commodities and also oil and fossil fuels are predominantly traded in US dollar, as we know. Mm -hmm. Um, And the US dollar strength means that Import prices are rising with a stronger U.S. dollar. However, the increase are not one for one with U.S. dollar evaluation. A stronger U.S. dollar tends to have a dampening effect on commodity prices as well. But these dampening effects cannot fully compensate the strong U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. All in all, a stronger U.S. dollar has a negative effect on the affordability of imported energy. However, domestically produced energy supplies are getting more competitive with this. Mm -hmm. And what kind of problems does this then create for Asian economies? So more or less three problems. So the US dollar strength will impact affordability of energy, what we already have briefly touching on. Secondly, the weak may get weaker. So some Asian economies may need to run down US dollar reserves to buy energy 
at a time when they are still recovering from COVID and slower global growth. Mm -hmm. Payment risk may make suppliers prioritize stronger, bigger buyers or ask smaller, weaker economies for a price premium. And lastly, Mm -hmm. energy security is now at center stage. So the needs to be considered in two dimensions, geopolitical sustainability and environmental sustainability. And this transformation, especially from the from the, from the young, young countries in Asia who have a huge consumption demand and the desire to grow, mm-hmm. this energy transition is on the one side a risk, but at the same time also a chance because mm-hmm. it will provide more resilience. Mm-hmm. And taking a look on um, natural gas as well, there's been a sharp drop in Russian pipeline supplies, which turned Europe drawing liquefied natural gas cargoes away from Asia. How much has prices then increased? Yeah, we have seen recently some good news from commodity markets as natural gas prices mm-hmm. keep on coming lower. UK contracts for next month delivery are almost as low as they have been at the beginning of the year. Dutch contracts, for instance, for next month delivery are now only 45% higher than in January, while the peak was a plus of more than 300% of the end of August. And future contracts for delivery in 12 months time paints a less rosy picture, still up 250% compared to January. Mm-hmm. So what do you see all in all? So still a mixed picture, um, but the prices have, have come, come down over, over the time, but still elevated. Mm-hmm. And China is the world's sixth largest natural gas producer and the third largest consumer. How are those prices impacting China? Yeah, although gas at present accounts for only a modest share of China's primary energy consumption, if you want, this share has increased sharply over the past decade Mm -hmm. amid a government campaign to combat pollution and encourage coal to gas switching. In the first half of 22, China's gas consumption um, was, however, down by minus 2% year over year Mm -hmm. to 182 billion cubic meters. Mm -hmm. The first decline in over a decade. Um, and mainly wow. due to slower economic growth due to COVID lockdown related mm-hmm. related disruption. And an immediate response has been to purchase deeply discounted gas from Russia. Inflows from Russia through the power of Siberia pipeline are up by around 60% year on year. And according to Bloomberg shipping tracking data, China's LNG imports from Russia in August reached their highest level mm. in at least two years. Mm-mm. And what about Japan? Yeah, Japan is highly dependent on LNG, but mm-hmm. stockpiles held by its power generators are at their highest level since at least 2017, so not too bad. Moreover, according to International Energy Agency, IEA, Japan's total gas consumption is set to decrease by 2% in 2022 as growing nuclear, renewable mm-hmm. and coal-fired generations reduce the need for gas-fired electricity. Asian thermal coal prices have been hitting new records as well. Which countries in Asia are impacted the most? Yeah, it's the obvious ones, right? So India has the region's largest exposure to coal-based power generation yep. of more than 70% in, in 2021, mm-hmm. followed by China. 60%, Indonesia 55%, South Korea 35%, and Japan roughly 30%. Despite being the world's biggest market for renewable energy investments, although Asia's dependency on coal is far from waning as China, India, and Indonesia are still approving and mm-hmm. building new coal fire power plants, although some say they will soon stop. Energy security concerns, what I really have said, given rapidly increasing energy demand also means that high global energy costs will create some short-term headwinds 
to economic decarbonization. And any other surprises that you've seen in your report on these high global energy prices? Yeah, so the discussion on the on the one side about the global transformation towards a nature compliant but also a decarbonized world. Mm-hmm. So the, this paradox um, which has been revealed through this is the following. Mm. For the technology we need to decarbonize, we need commodities. Right. And this brings us on the other side really to a very, very dire outlook. And mm. we need to think a little bit more smarter about this. What does it mean? We need technology for sure. Yeah. We need nature to help nature-based solution. And lastly, we need to change our demand pattern. And this means also our economic model. Factoring nature systemic value into account, mm-hmm. like sovereign carbon credit markets, for instance, or blue carbon credits, which gives nature a price and a role to pray, play in the regulation of the greenhouse gas emissions. And can we expect any easing of global energy prices soon? Or do you see a continuous rise in energy prices? What's the outlook for global energy prices in your view? Yeah, so countries around the globe have taken significant steps, including price caps, tax cuts, loan guarantees and policy shifts. Mm-hmm. Germany's, for instance, 300 billion euro package is by far among the largest. The EU has proposed plans to cap prices for households and industries, reduce demand and investment in alternatives. So um, you you see, um, but for the time being, as long as the tensions are there, as long as the system starts to adjust, prices will stay high. And uh, those price caps also have a downside, right? So prices are an indicator of shortage. Mm-hmm. And sometimes economists are saying price caps are not good because the signaling power of a price is getting tweaked mm-hmm. and individuals in the economy are not adjusting. On the other side, we have social pressure, especially mm-hmm. after the corona pandemic. Right. So it means over time it will, it will adjust, but it's not to be expected very, very soon. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Marcus, for joining us thank today. You, thank you. Thank you. We've been speaking with Marcus Mueller, Chief Investment Officer, ESG, and Global Head Chief. Chief Investment Office at Deutsche Bank. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.